From Relay FM, this is Download, recorded Thursday, January 31st, 2019. This is episode 89, the second best of times. Welcome to Download, where we cover the most interesting technology stories of the week. I'm Jason Snell, and I'm joined, as always, by Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Jason. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Good. We are going to... We picked a lot of stories to talk about this week that we think are the most interesting, and joining us to talk about them is our very special guest. It's Jackie Cheng, former editor-in-chief of The Wirecutter, and before that, lead Apple editor at Ars Technica as well. Remember, oh, the olden days. Hi, Jackie. <laughs> Hello. Uh, thanks for having me. That, that was the, Those were the days when John Syracuse walked the earth and did oh, yeah. giant reviews of things. I know. I mean, John and I, it's funny because he, in a weird way, he kind of encouraged me as I began writing reviews. To, he encouraged me to stay in it, um, and then vice versa. I, As he was sort of thinking of getting out, <laughs> I was like, Oh, I was like trying to get him to milk a couple more years, but um, but yeah, no, the, those were good times. <laughs> good times, good times. Well, uh, we do have a lot of Apple stuff this time, a lot of big picture stuff that re- relates to Apple. Um, I want to start with a conversation about Apple's quarterly results, which were this week. Uh, it was simultaneously the best of times and the worst of times. I guess it was the <laughs> sorry, it was the second second best of times. It was Apple's second biggest quarter ever, but last year's holiday quarter was bigger. iPhone sales were down. Uh, in fact, iPhone sales were down from two years ago, I believe, but they were buttressed by all of the uh, growing services and record uh, kind of Mac revenue and, and, and install base and iPad install base and all these sorts of things that Apple puts out there to kind of soften the blow of iPhone sales being down. Um, and that, that really was the obsession for everybody. People are wanting to know. Apple said that they're going to have uh, year-over-year uh, law uh, reduction in revenue ne- next quarter, this current quarter we're in as well. So definitely uh, not growing. Wall Street doesn't like that. Um, also, a lot of uh, interesting questions about the iPhone in particular. And the one I wanted to start with is, you know, conventional wisdom is that uh, one of the problems with the iPhone sales may be that smartphones are too expensive right now, and iPhones in particular are too expensive. Um, and when asked directly in one of the only like four questions that Tim Cook got during their phone call with analysts, because they spent most of the call monologuing, uh, somebody asked them directly, do you think that high iPhone prices in the U.S. were a problem? And Tim Cook basically said, no, they didn't think so because they thought that they were in line with the 10 and that the iPhone XR was uh, at the midpoint of the iPhone 8 and 8 Plus price, which is kind of a weird way to spin that, that y- actually more expensive than the old iPhone 8, which was itself more expensive than the iPhone 7. And um, another tidbit, which was that, uh, surprise, surprise, the iPhone XR, which everybody talks about being kind of uh, less than uh, expectations in terms of sales. Nobody knows for sure, but th- those are the rumors and the rumblings. Apple uh, said again, the CFO, uh, Luca Maestri, said that was their best-selling phone, followed by the 10s Max, followed by the 10s, which is also kind of weird. So, um, Jackie, what do you think about the iPhone pricing thing? Is is this this? I mean, they said overseas they've had lots of pricing issues because of the strength of the dollar and that they were actually this month repricing a bunch of stuff to make it uh, to basically eat the uh, difference in foreign exchange in order to get those prices back where they were a year ago. But in the U.S., when asked directly, they're like, "No, we don't see a problem here." You know, what do you? How do you take that? 
Uh, you know, it's it's interesting because I, I caught up on this, you know, before this podcast, obviously, but I didn't listen to the call as I might have in the past. So it, it is interesting getting that perspective from the outside. I, you know, I think that, I don't know, I think the pricing thing is, is, is part of it, but it's part of an equation. I think there's other parts to this equation and, you know, maybe multiple parts. I think one major part is just that, you know, we are what is it like 10, at least 10 years, more like 11 or 12 years past the start of the iPhone. And so, you know, it's just not um, insanely hot new tech anymore. And we're sort of reaching this point where people, most people who want one have one. Uh, and they, they last for a while if you want to make them last. You know, I have always been one of these people who tries to make make phones, you know, last for like three or four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when I was at Wirecutter, frankly, like that's what I preach is like, you know, value out of your phone. So I think that there's a lot of people like that, to be honest. And and most people have phones. So I think the pricing thing is one part of it, but there's other parts of this equation. I think it's just, you know, it Apple's beginning to top out finally a little on the iPhone thing. Um, it's not a bad thing, but it's just part of the natural progression of products. Yeah, I saw an analysis that said that um, nobody knows for sure, but it sure seems like in order to compete and try to get people to buy new phones, there's this run up of like expensive new hardware pushes the cost of building the device up and that Apple's margins for the iPhone had actually come down. So they're actually making less on average on every iPhone sold than they did maybe five years ago, because even though they've raised the prices, the cost of making the all the parts and putting them all together is more than it used to be, which is interesting. And it goes to something about this. Uh, it, it, I always bring it up the uh, rush to th- 3D televisions where everybody got a new HDTV and then all the TV makers were like, well, now what? And they start <laughs> jamming some other stuff in there, hoping that they can they can uh, repeat the buying cycle when the truth is it's a long buying cycle. And, and that's that's where the smartphones are now, too. Stephen, were you unmoved by Tim Cook saying uh, there's no problem with iPhone prices? All of their answers are so layered. Like, I mean, I don't I don't know anything about macroeconomics, but they sure seem to. But look, I mean, just talking to regular people like in our lives, all of us have had this conversation over the last year or two of like, these things are more expensive than they used to be. And the Tenard gets them sort of the way there. But like you said, it's even more than the eight. Uh, I don't, uh, it's probably too late to do anything about the 2019 iPhones, but I think the 2020 story with the phones, I, I really hope that, that those entry models come down. I mean, it's, it's, it's too expensive for most people. They've gotten a little out of hand. Their story seems to be, and I, I think there's some truth in it, and it, it's exactly right what you say about it being layered, which is, you know, Apple, I think their answers, it's amazing how they're very carefully encoded. They, I, I wonder <laughs> about the prep of these phone calls, especially where they've got like, if they ask this, you could hear the little cards shuffling, like this is the answer we give for that. And it always has kind of like a facile answer floating on the top, which is like, no, it's fine. It's fine. There's a lot of value there. And then, right. or, or when they said, oh, well, China was really bad. That's why we missed. And then they start listing other things. And you're like, wait a second. Wait a second. You said it was China, but it's also other things. Like, so mm-hmm. if you just look at the top layer, you take that away. And if you look closer, you're like, wait a second. There's more here. And, and <laughs> you just and, kept talking. <laughs> and so what Tim Cook says is, well, we think the prices are fine. 
But what's wrong is uh, that people are still coming off the subsidy model. And uh, back then, the prices were artificially looked artificially low. And so what we really need to do is make it way easier for people. And they said that they actually are, are testing this now, which is not something I saw kind of broadly reported. But they said they're testing it now in some places and hoping to roll out ever, you know, elsewhere this like ways to make it easier to trade in a phone and get a deal when you upgrade easier to pay for it on an installment plan or basically like a monthly program of some sort so that they can basically get the prices of the phones not down but spread it spread out the pain like it was back in the cell phone <laughs> subsidy days and i mean that's buying psychology there's there's truth to that on one level the reason it's harder to sell a smartphone today is not just that the prices are higher it's that the prices were artificially lower before because all the carriers hit the prices i get it i get it but he's yeah. also saying we're not going to lower our prices <laughs> i mean you walk in the apple store now and the, they've already moved a lot of signage over to showing what it is a month and if oh, you're yeah. looking at like the 10r versus the 10s max i think the difference a month on the uh, apple upgrade upgrade plan it's like maybe 18 or 20 dollars somewhere in there uh and that's you know the, you, a lot of people would feel that every month, but then you realize that it's a year or two years and that $350 like comes back out. Right. So it's, it's just, they're sort of reshuffling things, but you know, clearly they, they moved in a direction with their pricing and made the phones more premium with face ID, stainless steel, et cetera. But the other side of it is the phones last longer than ever, and they had the battery replacement program last year, which, yes, it was cheaper, and I think that was a big part of it. But I think a lot of people just didn't know you could get a new battery put in your phone, especially at the Apple store, right? right. I thought maybe like the creepy guy at the mall kiosk was the only way to do it. And uh, so you kind of had like two things happening at the same time, and now Apple's sort of stuck in between them with people holding onto their phones longer than ever because they're more performant because they got a battery put in it for 30 bucks and they look at the new one and say oh wow that's a thousand dollars i'm just gonna hold on this one for another year and you know that that buying cycle is slowing down and stretching out and that's not good for their numbers you both mentioned this idea of uh taking care of your phones and realizing you can use them longer or and get their battery replaced and all of that and one of the things i always appreciate about the wire cutter uh where jackie was editor-in-chief is that if for a site that's about buying things it's actually uh kind of delightfully pro-consumer in like what's going to last and taking care of your devices and all of those things. Tim Cook was asked directly about um, the statement that Lisa Jackson made on stage in September at the iPhone event, which was basically, we want your phone to last a long time. And, you know, unstated, but suggested there was, do you really mean that? Do you really want people to keep their phones a long time, Tim? And he said, he he did double down on that and said, yes, absolutely. That's what we want. That's a focus that we have here is uh, we want our uh, our devices to last. We want the OSs to be good. We know that the buying cycle is going to extend, and we think it adds resale value so that a two-year-old phone has more value if it gets traded in. And they're just, you know, uh, they did double down on that too, which was uh, an opportunity for them to be like, well, you know, hey, F Wall Street, we didn't really mean it. And that's not what they did. So I, I do believe Apple in saying that, I mean, again, with everything Apple does, they're a big corporation seeking profits. It's enlightened self-interest. But I do actually believe them that they they're kind of like surfing the wave of the extended buying cycle and saying well this works with the fact that we're spending more money to build these things let's 
talk up how uh, it, they're a good deal if you buy a thousand dollar phone because it'll last for a while and not be disposable. What do you think about about Apple's? You know, is are they are they genuine when they say we really want uh, these phones to last? I mean, I think that I, I think that that is. A difficult question to answer whether they're genuine or not, but I think mm. that that is the line that works for them right now that sure. goes along with that. I think that sure, you know, I mean, and obviously, like, I think we all come from like the ancient days of the Apple world where, um, I mean, historically Apple stuff has, you know, retained a high resale value and it lasts a long time. So I think in some ways they're kind of, they're kind of playing back on that, um, which maybe, used to be the case. I don't know if that's necessarily the case with iPhones today, but but yeah, I think that's what works for them, so that's what they're saying, but I don't necessarily think that's what they really want, you know, in the secret boardrooms mm. when the doors are closed. <laughs> I, I think I think they would rather have it be that their phones were more disposable but cheaper. Um but so that they would get a shorter buying cycle and they could control that. Um, but that I, I think it is sort of riding the wave of the fact that the buying cycle is not shorter. It's longer. And so, you know, if you're going to, if people are going to keep a phone for three or four years, you better make sure it works for three or four years, right? Or they're going to all abandon you. I think that's maybe part of it, but it is, they're, they're playing the hand that they're, they're dealt for sure. Okay. So there's a little more Apple stuff to talk about before we take our first break, which is uh, a really ugly bug that involve FaceTime and apparently some kid found it accidentally and uh, he and his mom tried to get it to Apple and that went for a little while and apparently either Apple was working on it behind the scenes and since it hadn't been widely disclosed they felt like they could do it quietly behind the scenes or they just didn't pay them any attention. It's a little bit unclear but regardless they didn't fix it and then it went viral and then Apple had to turn off its FaceTime uh, multi-user face time servers for a while kind of a black eye for them um uh, steven is this i mean is this the world we live in now that uh we we have uh vir- everybody has to deal with viral bugs and <laughs> things like that I mean, it's 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 a black eye for apple this is a really bad bug because it's literally letting uh people listen in or look at you when you don't want them to yeah it's real bad and i think that it is i think the reason it went viral and the reason that it, it's such a big deal. A, the bug is terrible. Like we do not need to underplay that. This is about as bad as it gets. But it comes from the company that just plastered a billboard above CES saying that what happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone. Like it comes from the company that says that they value privacy above all else and certainly above the value their competitors put on privacy. And it's a bug. It's a mistake. Someone screwed up. It's really bad. Uh, I think Apple's QA team really just i don't know maybe they were out to lunch the day facetime came through but uh <laughs> it is it, i think the, the the viral aspect of it is interesting i think apple's stance on privacy makes this side of things when these things come up makes it worse for them than it would be for other companies i don't know any more than what has been reported but i really you know my hunch is just that they ignored these this like mom and her kid who were trying to tell them about this i really feel like that and and maybe again that's my bias as being like a you know ancient apple writer and editor but like i i just feel like that's what happened and and yeah it is pretty serious um it's maybe not the most serious thing like on earth your location isn't being broadcast which i think someone pointed out in some article i read this morning uh sure but it's pretty bad (laughs) 
Uh, and so I, you know, my question is, I guess, when is Apple going to pay uh, the bounty to this family for finding this bug right. and reporting on it? This is a bug, right? Like I have seen a bunch of people say, well, there is a lot of irony here on National Privacy Day that there's a bug that lets people spy on you in these very particular circumstances. Um, it's unclear whether anybody knew about this bug before this, although usually with these bugs, uh, state uh, you know government organizations in various countries probably did because those like they don't disclose the bugs they just use them to spy on dissidents and arrest them and things like that uh but it is a bug and um I think it's worth pointing out that, like, by policy, yes, Apple Apple is living down the fact that it, it boasts about what, you know, what's on your iPhone stays on your iPhone, as they did in CES. At the same time, it's also true that this was a mistake, whereas some of Apple's competitors are interested in, in uh, looking at what you're doing from a business model. And it is, I mean, it's different. And Apple's business model is the way it is for reasons that are historical and not just based on them being nice. But it is true that this is this is not the, saying like, oh yeah, all these tech companies want to spy on you is not mm-hmm. flattening this issue out to that is a bit silly because, but the fact is, I think we all need to be reminded um, and, and this comes up with uh, the voice assistants all the time where people are like, I don't want a microphone and a camera in my house. It's like, do you have a smartphone? Do you have an iPad? Do you have a laptop? Like all of these devices have cameras and microphones in them now and they're in your house. So all of them are a security threat. All of them are a privacy threat. And, that, uh, and all it takes is bad software, which is a little bit scary. <laughs> Just a little. Not, uh, not all I can say, <laughs> you know, I all I can say is that when I first started hearing about this, I literally can actually imagine how this might have been discovered. I'm sure somebody was trying to conference call someone else on FaceTime, and that other person, or the first person, I guess, is the person who's exposed, who's called. Yeah. But the first person like didn't answer or something, and maybe maybe even made like a rude comment or something, you know, about the the caller. That's exactly what happened with the kid. Is that he called a yeah. friend, and the friend wasn't answering and he was he was trying to set up a a call with the the two friends so he went on to the second friend and then he could hear the first friend so i mean that's the kind of like normal you know let's say high school drama that would happen except now it was exposed through a security flaw yeah uh so well i guess that kind of stuff happens that's what makes the qa angle so frustrating like so this this the microphone access or camera access will be turned on if you hit like the sleep wake button or the volume down button, like to decline a call, which we all do if you're at least me every day, right? And like that didn't come up in the QA yeah. session. Like you didn't think that, oh, we'll just hit the <laughs> sleep wake button and see what happens. Like that is really what's frustrating to me. Like this, that they, they held group FaceTime back because it was buggy, right? It shipped right. in iOS, I think 12.1. It was supposed to be in 12.0 and they pushed it because they go, like, oh, we have, we're having performance issues with it. And then this comes out. It's like you, I would have hoped and would have thought and would have expected from Apple, from any of these companies, that this would have been more thoroughly tested. And, you know, to their credit, they said there's going to be a fix out this week. Now, today's Thursday. We haven't seen it yet. But they did take those group FaceTime servers down. So they broke the feature to protect people from this bug like that in the situation they made the right call but they should have never been in the situation to begin with yeah yeah it's true i i know uh somebody who was a uh a qa engineer at microsoft for a long time and uh pushing 
all the buttons is <laughs> what like that's the most basic form of that right right it's <laughs> right? <laughs> just you know what happens if i type this key what happens if i push this button um, and i do wonder if it's because they rushed to get it out because it was behind and it was buggy and that there were so many bugs that uh this one just got overlooked because they pushed it out the door i don't know but you're right it is troubling and uh it shows you that it's that our standards for bugs have changed because these things are so attached they're attached to the internet right like all these devices are attached to the internet and have services that can connect them to other people and they're much more personal and so you know bugs are uh, personal and important and invasive in a way that they weren't before and um jackie mentioned the bounty apple is controversially kind of like not uh participating in all of the ways that other companies participate in giving incentives to people to come forward with bugs because there are bad actors who will buy your exploits as well and so the idea is that the the good guys are offering money as well and apple is doing some of that but the impression i get from listening to security people is that they're behind on that front and I think in this case in particular, they're just being, I, you know, they haven't said that they're not doing it, but they certainly haven't made any moves. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, everyone's sort of asking that question. And, I, you know, so am I. I, you know, it's it's a major thing. And I think it's worth acknowledging um, that the, this family tried to report it to Apple instead of, um, you know, selling it on the black market, which, as I think you said in the beginning, it may have already been on the black market uh, being used by, you know, foreign governments or whatever. Let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk about more stuff. Uh, this episode of Download is brought to you in part by ExpressVPN. We've seen a lot in the media lately about online security breaches. Hmm. Hmm. Yes, have we? Have we? Uh, it's natural to wonder where your data goes. Um, chances are you're being tracked not only by social media sites and marketing companies, but possibly your own ISP. This is one of the tricky things is sometimes the ISP, which is the pipe you use to connect to the internet, they can look at your data and they can see what you're doing and where you're going. And then they can take that data and sell it to people who want to profit from your information. You can take your privacy back by using ExpressVPN, which works by securing and anonymizing your internet browsing, encrypting your data, and hiding your public IP address. You turn it on with one click. It's got an easy-to-use app that runs seamlessly in the background of your computer, phone, and tablet. It costs less than $7 a month. It's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. You should give it a try. If you've ever used public Wi-Fi where the data is unencrypted, hmm, want to keep the bad guys away from that, use ExpressVPN. I've definitely tried it. I've tried it at my local Starbucks. I have uh, I have tried it. I, I'm not going to say that that it worked for me to pretend that I was in a different country, but it did. Uh, and it, uh, yeah, it gave me greater peace of mind to know that uh, that uh, the isp or the sniffers at the starbucks were not looking at my data protect your online activity today by going to expressvpn.com slash download podcast you don't want your online history in the hands of your isp or data resellers use expressvpn go to expressvpn.com slash download podcast you get three months free with a one-year package once again that's expressvpn.com slash download podcast for three extra months free with a one-year package thank you ExpressVPN for supporting download and all of Relay FM. Now, before we move on to our next topic, which is all all about the the topic of our era, which is uh, mining people for data. Uh, but before we do that, something fun—the story you might have missed, something that may have flown under your radar—it certainly flew under mine. Stephen Hackett, uh, tell me about 
what Volkswagen is doing. Well, they drove under your radar this week. They Jason. did. They so, drove in the sand under my radar. <laughs> they did. I have a lot of questions about your radar setup. All of a sudden, is it on a is it on a beach? I'm going to build a big, For- beautiful wall. But uh, never mind. Uh, nope. Not doing, nope, not going down that road. Uh, there have been rumors for a while that Volkswagen has been uh, pr- or working on an all electric car. Their price point is 23 grand, which would be noticeably less than the Model 3. Uh, but it's not here yet. We spoke last week with Marco about uh, how auto manufacturers seem hesitant or unable to like just electrify their normal cars. Or like when can I just go buy an electric Honda Accord or whatever? Uh, and Volkswagen is, is lining things up for this. This platform is uh, going to be used in multiple vehicles. That's where all these, how all these companies work. And the first vehicle to ride on this new platform is going to be a electric dune buggy, at least according to the concept that they're showing at the Geneva Auto Show, which is the first week of March. So, you know, Volkswagen has a history of this making small, fun dune buggies, and they want to sort of recapture people's imagination and make an electric one. It, of course, has no doors, no roof, has large off-road tires, uh, looks pretty amazing according to this render. Who knows if it will actually ship, but... You know, it's a fun thing to think about, tearing around the beach in an electric vehicle. Uh, I don't know what happens if you drive an electric vehicle into the ocean. I I would assume that that's bad. Don't do that. But apart from that, it seems like it could be a lot of fun. That's true. Do you ever watch Speed Buggy when you were a kid? You're probably too young for that. It was a really crappy cartoon about a dune buggy that had eyes and (laughs) could talk and looked a lot like this, actually. Scary. Creepy. Don't watch Speed Buggy, people. It's like uh, if you think Scooby Doo is bad when you revisit it now, that was like Scooby Doo was way better than Speed Buggy. They were also the same. It was a shameless knockoff. There was a guy who was basically shaggy. Anyway, I digress now. I digress. Let's talk about um, the kerfuffle between Apple and uh, Facebook. And then turns out also Google. Google was like, dude, no, no don't even look over here. No, this week. <laughs> um, Facebook has a thing called Project Atlas, which is, uh, uh, I, I think we've touched on things like this in the past. Facebook and Google and other companies will sometimes pay users, pay their people money to spy on them. But is it spying if you get paid for it? Basically, they say, we want to look at your data and sample it and see uh, your online behavior, and that helps us, and we'll pay you for it. And they use uh, it as a panel, and they get more information out of it. Um, So Facebook was doing this. Now, Facebook used to have a product called Onovo, which was a VPN that service that theoretically offered you privacy, except the VPN was routed through Facebook servers, and then Facebook could at everything you were doing and they use that to see the rise of competitors that they then purchase there's a lot a lot going in here it's valuable strategic information to look at what people are doing so when uh, apple kicked onovo out of the app store because it was violating apple's privacy rules um, what facebook apparently did was take the code of project onovo and turn it into project atlas where they signed it with their enterprise certificate which is a way for large businesses to distribute apps to their employees and then Uh, had that installed on the devices of the panelists, who are, by the way, not employees. Then uh, TechCrunch ran a story about this. It kind of blew up. People are like, oh, Facebook uh, took the Onovo stuff and just found another path for it. Now, 
you know, arguably everybody here consented. They knew what they were getting into. They got paid in order to install this thing. But what was interesting is that what Facebook did is in violation of Apple's enterprise restrictions, which is you're not supposed to distribute apps outside the app store that are to people outside your company. Um, Apple then turned off the certificate and all of Facebook's internal builds of their apps, including the things they use to like check for the bus and look at the menus at the Facebook cafeteria, apparently all turned off. Uh, And then Google, somebody pointed out, I think TechCrunch again, that Google also has a system that does this. And Google preemptively said, no, 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 it's gone. We just took it down. We're sorry. Uh, Because they, I think they didn't want to lose the, their internal, I don't know, bus and calendar and, and whatever apps as well. Uh, That one's called ScreenWise Meter. Uh, So uh, yeah, a lot to unpack here. I kind of want to start with Apple's power here. Casey Newton um, at the uh, uh, his uh, newsletter pointed out that uh, it is notable here that Apple has the power of life and death over all the software that runs on your devices because they just flipped this switch and all the Facebook apps went away. And there is something uh, that gives me a little bit of pause, and I think it should remind all of us that you know all the software we use, especially on uh, on iOS, is at the whim of Apple. Now, Apple, I'm not saying Apple is not. Um, if anything, Apple tends to go lightly on big players like Facebook and Google. I saw a lot saw a lot of cynicism this week where people are like they're not going to do anything to Facebook, uh, and then those people were surprised when they actually did something. Um, Jackie, does it give you, I mean, this story has a lot of different angles here, but uh, starting with the Apple thing, uh, is that important to keep in mind? Like, uh, ultimately, Apple might be a benevolent uh, curator and dictator of what's on our iPhones, but they do have absolute power. Yeah, I mean, sure. I I actually agree with what you just said, which is just that um, Apple does have absolute power. And I just think that's important to remember, you know, in this case, um, sure, we're all kind of taking a little bit of joy, or maybe not all of us, you know, maybe I am uh, in seeing that Facebook is getting burned a little bit by this whole thing, um, because Apple has absolute power. But, um, you know, I think we've all heard stories in the past of people getting burned and, you know, the story not seeming so clear. And, uh, you know, there are there's definitely two sides to this as far as not necessarily story, but like the power thing. Um, but, you know, I think in this case, Apple probably made a, a, a good decision because, you know, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, like what, look what they're doing. So, um, sure. It's just something to keep in mind that Apple has total control and they could use that for bad things too. What, what do you think about Facebook uh, doing this? Like it is, uh, you know there there is consent here but it's also like this is once again facebook trying to do things that are kind of I don't know. They just they're reusing their old code that was sort of spying on people to do this new thing that is not quite spying on people. Does it? uh, And Google was doing the same thing. Does the can do you think the people involved in this really understand what they're getting into? And and should we feel a little bit creeped out by these projects or is this normal? I you know I think that sure like you can say on an individual level people consented but i you know i have a whole story on that myself is which is just that i think that 
you know, back in the 90s, especially the late 90s, like 98, 99, there used to be like these apps that would, this is before, you know, online advertising really became a thing, but there would be these apps for like Mac OS 9 that you would launch and they would pay you to look at the ads. So if you were sitting at your computer, um, you know, occasionally it would make you click on something to show that you were still alive. Um, but you would get like, I mean, a not insignificant amount of money. Like I was getting probably a hundred bucks a month. Uh, and you know, when you're like 17, 18, that's a lot of money. And so I, I think that a lot of people are just, you know, they are in it for that reason. They're not always thinking about all the details and all the privacy reasons. And sure, they might have clicked through some EULA stuff. Um, but we all know that we've done that before. And we don't know what's in all of that. And so, you know, I think that, the, yeah, like, I think that Facebook is taking advantage of the fact that people just want the money. Um, and if you look at the big picture and look at their moves, it looks like they're trying to, trying to be secretive about it. And I think that, especially when it comes to big corporations, frankly, um, I think when you look at, when you super zoom out and you see that, I think that's really what tells you the story of what's going on. I think that if it's the new normal, we're in trouble. You know, I think that, <laughs> that these companies can operate and, not do the most creepy thing imaginable, right? And and I have a lot of questions around like consent and do people clearly people knew what they were getting into to a degree. Like part of the Facebook project even was like upload your screenshot of like your Amazon order page, right? Like there's all sorts of stuff. And like clearly people are doing that. And you know, that's not something that you like accidentally do. So surely some people knew what they were doing and were fine with it because the money was important or they that the privacy wasn't whatever it may be. But I think there there are a lot of people who don't know or who, who don't understand what these companies uh, can and are doing like on a regular daily basis. And I think there is room for better understanding and better clarification around that sort of thing that that these companies should all be held accountable to. Yeah, it, we're in a weird place here. Um, I, I can't honestly, I think we're so far down here that I can't tell whether um, – in in out of the context of today, I would look at this and be disturbed by it or or you know what I mean? Like it, there's been so much about these companies and their business models and them trying to uh, get personal information that um, I look at this and I go, well, of course they are. And I'm not sure if I should be saying to myself, wait a second, <laughs> like, let's rethink this entire premise, because, I, you know, I just wonder if we've come down so far down the path that now this looks reasonable when it's actually not reasonable at all. Um, I do think that um, Apple, I mean, bottom line here is Apple has exercised uh, rules, judgments on small developers quite frequently. Often they have to, in fact, back out of it because uh, there's a a whole kerfuffle about that. And then there's a reaction to that. And they they apologize and say that wasn't what they're doing. But this is very clearly in violation of this end run around the app store uh, that that was put in place so that companies could have internal build only apps. So on one level, you know, these guys were, uh, you know, opening themselves up to this by making a decision to, to do this. Um, I guess for me, the most troubling thing is that is that which is Facebook and Google um, group or groups within Facebook and Google, because I think there are a bunch of people at those companies who are also appalled by this. Uh, Those groups said 
well, we don't care about Apple's rules. We're going to violate them. And that says something to me, which is they don't care about the rules. And it maybe says something about how important they think they are, that they that rules don't apply to them. And what we've seen over the last couple of years, and this is my large point here, is that I think that's part of the culture of especially Facebook, that in general, they don't think rules and laws and morals and ethics apply to them. And so why would Apple's restrictions apply to them? seems consistent to me on that level. And I think that's maybe yeah. what's, what's resonating with me here is it's another example of Facebook, especially um, ignoring rules that were in place for a reason in order to do what they want. <sighs> well said. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We, we keep coming back. This, this show, it, it just like we want to talk about big to- tech topics. And for the last year and a half, it really has been uh, so much about Facebook and so many bad things that Facebook is doing. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's just that's just where we are right now. Okay, we have talked about a lot of depressing things. So before we go, I want to talk about some uh, nice things. Now, Stephen put a story in here that came from listener Robert uh, in our Fuzzy Puppy Update slot. It's what I'm calling the hallucinatory or imaginary bear update. Um, a three-year-old boy in North... We could, we could pivot. <laughs> a three-year-old boy. <laughs> it's going to be hard to find hallucinatory bear uh, stories every week, but a three-year-old boy <laughs> survived two nights alone in the woods. Uh, they found him, um, and that's great. So he was safe. He's okay. They had been searching for him. It's great. When they found him, what he said was he had a friend in the woods with him that helped him in the two days he was gone, and that that friend was a bear. He said he hung out with a bear for a couple of days, and uh, the bear uh, took care of him. Now, experts on bears and child psychology suggest that this was all imaginary and that this bear was not a real bear. It's like that twist in a movie where you find out that character who's been there all along wasn't real. I'm not going to mention the movie because I don't want to spoil a 15-year-old movie uh, that (laughs) was nominated for Oscars, but uh, it's like that, right? Um, So I don't believe there was really a bear there because bears are wild animals and a bear would probably not help a child in the woods. It would probably do something uh, bad. So uh, I'm not sure I can get behind the hallucinatory bear update. Fortunately, at the last minute, I found an actual fuzzy puppy update to give. (laughs) And that is news from Thailand, where a runner was seven miles into a marathon when she saw runners in front of her dodging a puppy that was in the road. She stopped and picked up the puppy. There were no houses around. She decided this puppy must have been abandoned. She didn't want to leave this shaking little puppy behind. So she picked it up and carried it for the next 19 miles of the marathon, crossed the finish line holding the puppy. And uh, when the owner of the puppy or whoever was responsible, nobody came forward to say it was their puppy. So she adopted the puppy. And now it is, uh, it is named for, I think, the marathon that she was running in. So now that, folks, that is a fuzzy puppy update with no in- imaginary bears anywhere. So, sorry, Stephen. Uh, um, I don't know why you're suddenly the champion of imaginary bears. It's really listener Robert who's behind the imaginary bears. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. Now that you've told me about this bear thing, I'm going to go research it because I'm I am learning more and more about bears all the time. All right. And I feel like uh, I'll, I'll come back and let you know what I think. Uh, bears are cool. Bears <laughs> are cool. Uh, so, yes, I would love a, uh, an imaginary bear update at some point. That's mm-hmm. literally an update about what happened with Casey Hathaway, the kid from North Carolina, who uh, <laughs> who was saved by a bear. But I will 
will say that there was a headline in the the Guardian that was, uh, bear in mind, <laughs> yeah, I see you, headline writer, Lost Boy's Tale of Ursine Guardian, likely to be fantasy. But hey, those people are buzzkills. Maybe there is really a guardian bear that lives in the woods. Let's start the rumor. I mean, the good news is the boy is safe, right? Like, the bear is just collateral detail at this point. Right. Yeah. I mean, really, there could have been a bear. I mean, let's believe him. Believe the, the saved kid that there is totally a guardian bear living in those woods. And uh, and that's how legends start. Hey, I you think. know how, like, modern medicine is beginning to acknowledge that placebo is maybe even, like, a, a thing worth it, worth researching? Mm-hmm. Maybe the imaginary bear is worth acknowledging just because it helped save this kid, you know? So, if you're lost somewhere... <laughs> I say look for an imaginary bear. And maybe that imaginary bear will guide you. That's entirely possible. Well, this podcast took a very strange turn, but I love it. Uh, Jackie, thank you so much for being on Download this week. We appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. And Stephen, thank you, as always, for putting the show together. Thank you. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode. We will be back in a week. And until then, we will keep watching the headlines and probably sighing and uh, looking for imaginary bears. So you don't have to, although you can if you want. Goodbye, everybody. 